I'm going to ask you to show your age a little bit today. How many of you remember the, the uh, hospital, I don't know how you call it, hospital, move, hospital show or whatever called House? Starring Laurie, uh, Hugh Laurie, I think was the main star. And he was the, he's the eccentric doctor that can diagnose almost any kind of illness and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, doctors always use people to make their diagnoses, I guess diagnoses or however, whatever. Uh, doctors use people, they use the patient. They ask questions and the patients always give them answers, you know, what's wrong and what ails them and all that kind of stuff. And House would always kind of go against the grain. You know, if y'all watched the show, you know what I'm talking about. And he would make a diagnosis and, and some of his colleagues would say, well, the patient said this. And Dr. House would always say, everybody lies. And they said, well, not for their health. They wouldn't lie to, it would mess up their health, you know, their diagnosis. And he said, everybody lies. And every time I'd watch that show and he'd always say that, and they would start repeating him. What does House say? Everybody lies, you know. So when I think about that, I thought about everybody sins. We all sin. And the problem with it is we, we don't know how to stop it. <laughs> we would all like to, um, but we all have this temptation that just comes in front of us. So I want to talk to you today about temptation. And, um, you know, we always do what happens when we're caught in something. Think about what happens to you when you're caught with, you're caught in sin or something. I think about um, the first thing that we always do is we deny it. You know, if you, if you ever watch one of those reality cop shows or something, they pull this guy over and they check his glove compartment and they search his car and, they find drugs in his car. Well, what's the first thing he always says? It's not mine. <laughs> it's somebody else's. Like, I'm driving this car for them, you know, or something. Or, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm holding this for somebody or something, you know. And so what, we, what happens when we, the first thing we do is we deny when we get in trouble. The second thing we do is we deflect it. If we can't deny it anymore, then we start deflecting what's happening to us. We start saying, well, Somebody else, the devil made me do it or something. You know, it's somebody else that made me do this. What did, it, what did Adam do when God caught him? He said, that woman you gave me, <laughs> she gave me this fruit and I ate it and I sinned. And then he goes to Eve and he says, well, what, did you, what have you done? And she said, well, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. You know, we all want to pass the buck to someone else when we're caught in sin. And so how do we... We wouldn't sin if we could handle the temptations that's before us. So I want to talk to you today about the terror of temptation. And we all have them. Uh, and, t and temptation seems to terrorize us. And so we're going to be back in the book of James again like, like we were last time. I know you all think that's probably the only book I've ever read. <laughs> but because uh, I've preached twice and I've preached out of James both times. But if, if you're a new Christian or an old Christian... If you didn't have but one book, I think, in the Bible to read, this is probably the most practical book in all of Scripture. Um, you know, in our, all our D groups and stuff like that, we're learning to memorize Scripture and everything. If you wanted to memorize a book, this is probably the best one to memorize uh, because it's so much practical application that you can use out of this book. And so it's one of my favorites. If I had to pick a favorite, this would be it probably. And I always find a lot of good stuff there. So turn with me to James uh, chapter 1. And we'll look at a few verses there. How do I handle temptation? I'm always in the middle of, seems like sin is always in, before me, but how do I handle temptation? What do I do about it? What can I do? So we're going to look at that. And, uh, so let's read the scripture and then we will 
uh, kind of dive into it. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. And I'm going to read from the King James Version. And I know we usually use ESV around here, but I'm going to read from the King James Version because this is what I got all my study notes from. And so uh, I've got it written in my Bible and everything else. So just bear with me on that one. And I don't apologize for it. I enjoy the King, but I'm old. And so uh, that's where I started memorizing Scripture. And I don't want to turn loose from it because if you... The Bible says, hide, hide his words in our heart. And so that's what I've learned from, and I hate to get away from that because I have to kind of unlearn it to learn another version. And so um, I, I use this a lot more, I guess. But let's look at chapter, chapter 1, verse 2. It says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect, and entire, wanting nothing. Uh, and then verse, drop down to verse 12. It says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted that I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Um, Oh, one more. And then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So I want to talk to you a little bit about temptation. I know uh, the first thing there on your notes is temptation or trial or tribulation is inevitable. Temptation is inevitable. It's going to happen to all of us. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from. Temptation happens to everyone. Uh, notice verse 2. It says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. When, not if. Temptation is inevitable. Everyone does. At some point, we fall into temptation. Um, when you look up this word, the reason I put the words temptation, trial, tribulation, all that, your book, your Bible may say trial or tribulation. See, there's an apparent contradiction if you read this, especially if you use the word temptation. But the same Greek word translates in verse 2 and in verse 12 as temptation. Now, but it means different things. It's according to who's tempting you. See, God does not tempt us to sin because he can't be tempted by sin. He hates sin. You can't tempt me with cucumbers. You can't do it because I hate them. I don't like the smell of them, and you can't tempt me with cucumbers. And see, that's the way God is with sin. You can't tempt him. So it looks like an apparent contradiction, but it's not. It's talking about a trial or a test. God tested Abraham. Did God want Abraham to stab Isaac? No. But the KJV says, uses the word tempt right there. God did tempt Abraham. Now, it doesn't mean he was trying to get Abraham to stab Isaac. It means that God was testing Abraham. Did God tempt Adam and Eve by putting the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the middle of the garden? No, he wasn't trying to get them to sin. He's trying to show them that you're sinful by nature. You can't help it. That's who you are. We are sinners by nature. Folks, temptation is going to happen to all of us. It is inevitable. It comes to us. There are trials in your life that faces you every day. God doesn't tempt you to sin, but he allows Satan to sometimes. He allowed Satan to tempt Job. Now think about it. God kind of put Job out there and said, well, what about Job? Have you tried him? Satan said, yeah, but you got him protected. He's the richest man. 
you let me have him, I'll have him cursing you to your face. God said, okay. Have you tried Job? See, God allows temptation to come in our lives. Just like you as a parent allow your kids to bump their head sometimes. That's not fun. You hate to see it happen. But you know they're going to quit. They're never going to quit jumping on that bed until they bump their head. And you tell them over and over and over, don't do that. You're going to hurt yourself. And they have to just find out themselves sometimes. And so I think sometimes God allows us to understand that. We've got to find out ourselves. Uh, he allows Satan to... So temptation is inevitable, but it says when, not if. Second thing, John chapter 16, verse 33 says, you shall have trouble. Uh, I'll read it for you. We don't have to look it up. It says, these things I have spoken that you might have peace. This is Jesus talking. In the world you shall have trouble, tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus says, you are going to have tribulation. You're going to have trouble. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. He's overcome trouble for us. So temptation is inevitable. Second thing I want you to see about temptation, uh, temptation in verse 2 again, is also it's variable. Notice he says, notice he says this, verse 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Now, what does divers mean? In, in KJV, it just says divers, no E on the end of it. But it's diverse. It means uh, different and various. Now, what does different mean? That means Satan comes at us in different ways. See, what's a temptation? Cucumbers might be a temptation for you, but they're not for me. But something else might be a temptation for me that's not for you. There are different ways that, God, that Satan attacks us, many different ways. Uh, what's... What's tough on one person is not tough on another. And so we can't sit up here with our, you know, our haughtiness and say that, well, I don't, I don't do that sin. We can't start comparing ourselves to each other because we all have something that Satan attacks us all from. Something different. My sin's not any better than yours, okay? They're all bad. And so Satan attacks us in many different ways. Now, second thing, not only is temptation different, Satan attacks us in different ways, but he attacks us in various ways. Diverse means different and various. You say, well, Tony, what's the difference in that? You, you know, straining that and that there, right? Verse, uh, but the second part, various, sometimes Satan uses multiple tactics on each of us. A different tactic than he used on you the last time, maybe. Maybe you've gotten a little better at one thing and Satan will try something else. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, I'll give you an example. When I was a, when I was a strength coach or the weight room coach at Heflin, I, I, would, I had three basic exercises I wanted to make sure that every kid did every three days a week. Now, what else we did was okay, but I, you could go in there and work on your beach muscles and all that, but I wanted muscles that made us be better athletes, I thought. And so we had three basic exercises that we did, and I made everybody do them. And we had max day about every two to three weeks because I wanted kids to see them moving up in that chart. And we would put that out in the gym. And, of course, I kind of did it to embarrass them too. If they wasn't working hard, their max would go down. And so I'd put that up and put it behind a plexiglass where they couldn't get to it and they couldn't tear it down. And everybody could see where you progressing. I wanted it for motivation more than anything. And so... We would, we would max about every three weeks and kids' max would go up. And you could see progression. I could see them growing. That's what I wanted. As a coach, I wanted to see them growing. But I had one kid who he didn't cut reps. 
He didn't miss workout days. He didn't, he still could, he got to a plane and he couldn't go any higher. And I thought, why is this, why is it like that for him? He, I watch him. He doesn't cut reps. He doesn't miss workouts, but he's not moving up. And what I had to figure out was this plan, as good as I think it is, because I came up with it myself, may not be for everybody. It worked for 90% of the kids, but it wouldn't work for him. So we had to start altering some things that we did to try to meet some of these other kids that didn't, that didn't get stronger the same way that most of them did. See, we're all different. And Satan knows that. And he knows that sometimes it'll work for you and sometimes it won't. He'll attack you in a different way. So temptation is inevitable. It's going to happen. It is variable. Satan's going to attack you in many different ways. Third thing I want you to see is temptation is sometimes profitable. You say, what? Look at verse 2 again. We're going to go back to verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Count it joy, he says. Now, why would you count it joy when you're being tested? Why would you count that joy? Well, let's look at verses 3 and 4. That answers that question for us. Look, let's read 3 and 4, and then we'll come back to it. He says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith work is patience. Let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Now, let's see what it does. In your blanks there. Patience leads, um, uh, number one, it's profitable because it leads, number one, to patience. Now, what is patience? I looked it up. Webster's Dictionary says this. Patience is the capacity to tolerate without getting upset. Now, think about that. Can we all use a little bit of that? (laughs) The patience, patience is the capacity to tolerate without getting upset. See, most of us tolerate, but we don't, do it without getting upset, do we? <laughs> we tolerate a little. We're in a world today where Democrats and Republicans won't tolerate anything that the other side does, right? They get upset about everything. I watch the news, you do too. And it's according to which news you watch, how much you're going to get one side or the other, right? It's a constant bickering in a battle. What is patience? I think about an old man or an old lady who... Nothing bothers them, like my grandmother was right before she died. It didn't matter. It would be watching a football game. You'd say, Granny, who are you for? She'd say, whoever's got the ball. <laughs> she didn't care. It didn't matter to her. you say, well, Granny, you want to do this? You want to do that? It doesn't matter. It didn't matter what you wanted to do. She was ready to do it. And I thought about, that's an acquired patience. That's somebody building their patience. Uh, in their life. And so the capacity to tolerate without getting upset. Now it says that at first it leads to patience. Secondly, it leads to perfection. Now that does not mean sinlessness. The Greek word for sinlessness is like harmatitesia or something. I looked that up one time. That's not even in the New Testament. It's only a couple times in the Old Testament. It's a Hebrew word for that. The Greek word is not even used in the New Testament. Every time you see the word perfection, especially in the KJV, like I said, I did word studies because I didn't learn what an ESV was till later. Uh, um, the word perfection usually means maturity or completeness. So patience leads to your maturity or your completeness. Jesus used the same form of the word. It's teleos, T-E-L-E-I-O-S, if you want to know Greek word. He used the very same form of the Greek word when he's hanging on the cross and he says, to telestai, or it is finished. 
So Jesus is saying it's complete. It's done. And so God is trying to build you to something. Why, why, why is temptation sometimes profitable? Because it's something he's trying to build you to. He's trying to build you to maturity where you are complete as a Christian. Uh, patience leads to perfection. And then the next thing, perfection leads to the prize. And I want you to see verse 12. Drop down to verse 12. It says, blessed is the man that endureth temptation for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. The crown of life. I got to studying that crown of life when I started studying this. You know there's five different crowns in scripture? Now, this is not commentaries. I read several commentaries on this crown of life thing. This is not eternal life. See, we don't work for eternal life. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that by grace we are saved through faith. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We could brag about it if we could work, about it. We could work for it. So the, the crown of life does not mean eternal life. It's a jewel that you're going to have when you, go to, when, you, when you stand before God. I think about people having an audience with the king. I think about the peasants in the land having an audience with a king. And you've seen movies probably where they did this in these little countries. Like, what's that, that little movie that Rachel used to like when, uh, I don't even remember the name of it now. And the, but these people would come to the king and they would all bring their, their gifts to give to the king because he let them have an audience with him. Think about what you have when you carry to Christ. You've got a crown of life. Now, there are five different crowns. If you want to know, there's an everlasting crown in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 25. The Bible talks about that. A soul winning crown is a second one in Philippians 4 uh, and in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 it talks about those. A crown of righteousness in 2 Timothy uh, 4.8. A crown of glory in 1 Peter uh, chapter 5. And then the crown of life mentioned here and mentioned in Revelation. The crown of life. Don't you want to have something to take to Jesus when you meet him for the first time? Don't you want to have something to say, thank you, Lord? A crown of life. Patience to perfection to a prize. That's what we get. That just chills on me when I think about that. We're going to go from patience to perfection, maturity, not being perfect, I know, or completeness, to a prize, a crown. Now think about, I cry every time. Every time I watch a team win a championship. Now y'all may not, y'all may think I am a crybaby, that's for sure. But I don't care unless Auburn wins one. <laughs> I don't cry when Auburn wins I do cry when Auburn wins one, but it's for a different kind of tear, okay? Uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but when a team accomplishes a goal that they've worked so hard for, and I watch a movie where some team finally wins or whatever, it's not that trophy they're getting, but that's what that trophy represents. And it just touches my heart when that, when that trophy, that, that, what that trophy, trophy represents is how hard they've worked and how much they've sacrificed to win that title or whatever. And whatever it is. And I think about watching any kind of movie, I'm, I'm like, I'm over there trying to hide my eyes from my kids and my wife and all that because I'm the crybaby, you know. It touches my heart. You know, kids ask Michael Jordan when they... They ask him, why'd you cry when you won the championship? And he's trying to explain to these little kindergartners that that emotion is not just for when you're hurt, you know. It was funny to watch him do that. Um, but that's the prize that we have. God wants to give us a prize. So, so temptation can be profitable sometimes. 
Look at the last, the fourth thing that I want you to see. Uh, temptation is inevitable. Temptation is variable and it's profitable. But the last thing, temptation is not totally unavoidable. How do we handle it? Well, we know it's inevitable. We're going to have it. But it's not totally unavoidable. Now, sometimes it is. Sometimes you can't, you can't get... You can't have it not happen. Like the Bible says, be ye angry and sin not. Well, you can't help but sometimes get angry. But you can't help where you sin or not. That's up to you. Um, temptation is not totally unavoidable. Look at verses 12 through 15 again. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted that I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and is enticed. And when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Temptation is not totally unavoidable. I'm going to quote a famous theologian here, my wife, Robin. And I bet you I heard her say this a hundred times to our kids. You can't always resist temptation, but you can't avoid it. It's a lot easier. Maybe she said it another way. Temptation is way easier to avoid than it is to resist. And, I mean, she preached this to, to Blake, especially all his growing up. And so and she's right. Uh, look at verse 12. It says, we must endure temptation. It means we got to come out on the other side of it without sinning. Like I said, Ephesians 2, I mean, Ephesians 4, 26 says, be ye angry and sin not. I remember we were sitting in Sunday school one day when this verse came up and a friend of mine said, look, when I'm angry, I'm going to sin. <laughs> and he was right. I think most of us are that way. We can't stop ourselves sometimes when we really get mad. But this says, blessed is the man uh, that endures temptation. That means you come out on the other side and you, you work it through it. You work through it without sinning. Uh, it does not say blessed is the man who gives in to temptation. I, gotta, I found this after I'd already come up with this. I found this C.S. Lewis quote. Or it was from, um, I follow this C.S. Lewis thing on Twitter and just read some Twitter notes. But this one says, only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. We never find out the strength of the impulse inside until we, can, until we try to fight it. See, that's the only way you gain strength in the weight room or whatever. You got to break that muscle down and you got to go through some pain to get there. Well, the same thing in our lives with temptation. We have to go through some pain with temptation. But we have to come out on the other side enduring it, enduring it. The Bible does not say blessed is the man who gives into it. But it does tell us how to do this. There's a couple of things that the Bible does say for us. And when your blanks there on the page is number one, to resist the devil. If you flip over to James chapter 4, just a couple of pages over, James 4, 7 says this. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, how many people have you ever heard uh, quote this verse, but they quote that part, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you? I think about, I think about, I'll never forget this. Years ago, we had this evangelist. When we were over in the old building. He came and preached a revival here. And he, one thing he said, he said, if you're on, you're on God's side, uh, you can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Satan. And he said, 
you're on God's side and, and you got uh, God with you, you can swing out over the pits of hell on a rotten grapevine and spit in the devil's eye. Well, everybody thought that was kind of funny, and, but it was bad theology. <laughs> That's terrible theology, okay? That was funny, and I don't know why I remember it till this day. I bet that happened 40, 35 years ago, probably. Uh, but I remember him preaching that, and everybody laughed, and everybody liked it, but it was terrible theology. See, Satan's not somebody to fight with. He's somebody to run from, okay? The Bible says resist the devil. Now, just by me resisting him doesn't make Satan run away from me. I think we forget about the first part of verse 7. Look at it. It says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, if you go back and read verse 6, it says he gives more grace. Uh, but he gives more grace. Wherefore, he says, God resists the proud. So God resists us when we're proud. So what does verse 7 say? Submit yourself to God. What does submit mean? Come under the authority, right? It's, to me, it's like, a, it's like a, a duck or a chicken or whatever that's got her brood under her wings. Come get under mom's wing for protection. Or I think about it like this. I think about a, 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 a baby calf buffalo running from a wolf. That wolf's chasing till he gets up under mama. One of them big buffalo. Them things are mean, you know. You watch any nature shows, you know what I'm talking about. That old wolf will stop then. He quit chasing then. It's not that he's not a big bad wolf anymore. He's just not big and bad when the mama cow's there, right? And so he turns and runs away. Now, the Bible says resist the devil. But first it says submit to God. Get up under Jesus' wing. And then resisting the devil, he flees. Not because we're big and bad, but because whose wing we're under is big and bad. Get away. He'll get away then. You can't go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Satan. I can't go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Satan. I'm not swinging out over the pits of hell on a rotten grapevine. Satan, the Bible says, is the prince of the power of the air. He's got powers that, that I can't even imagine. And I'm no match for him. But I can submit to God, and God is. Uh, second thing it tells us to do, not only resist him, is to run from him. You say, where does it say run? Well, the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, to flee youthful lusts. And when I was thinking about this message, the first thing that happened in my mind was, I wanted to, I, we were doing our men's class, and if y'all know me, and if you've talked to me in any length of time in last few years, I think one of the biggest problems of our society, every time Cody wants me to preach or something like that or speak to you, I'll say, I'll think, okay, what does God want me to say to a whole congregation? Well, the first thing that pops in my mind is what was going through my mind when, we, when he called me, we were, James and John Stone and I are kind of co-teaching this men's class, and I think the biggest problem in our society is men not being men. And we just want, men won't be spiritual leaders of their home, they there's a lot of deadbeat dads that won't even take care of their children. And the Bible says that you're worse than an infidel. And so I thought, I need to preach something. Of course, God gave me something else. But it made me think of this when I was, when I was thinking of this. What is, uh, what is our biggest temptations? Especially men. And when I got to thinking about temptation, it talks about fleeing youthful lusts. Well, I looked... Uh, I was looking on the internet trying to find some uh, references to this. Years ago, we used to have this 
uh, we had this study that said that a, a teenage boy thought about sex every seven seconds or something like that. Of course, this this new uh, thing I found said that wasn't true. You know, it wasn't that often, all that kind of stuff. But it did say this: men 18 to 25 years old think about sex more than they do food. So when I thought about this, what is our in our book in that Every Man a Warrior book? It had two little stats that just stuck out to my mind when I was thinking about making this message. What is our main temptation? It says this, and this is scary. 50% of Christian men have a battle with pornography on a daily basis. Over 50% of Christian men have a battle with pornography uh, on a daily basis. And it said that that people who do this are three times as likely, of course it says 300%, which sounds better, but three times as likely to have an extramarital affair. You think about it. When I, as a coach and all those things, what I see is wrong with our society is dads won't be the kind of dads they should be. They won't lead their homes, won't be a spiritual leader. Why? We we're allowing things to come into our lives. I said a long time ago, as soon as everybody started getting home computers, I said, that's going to be the new sword of Satan. Because that's an unaccountable way to just see all kinds of sin. Not only is that a, a problem for men, it's a problem for women. Not just, not that, but more of, what about Facebook gossip? You say, Tony, you're meddling now. Well, not if it's not, I'm not talking to you, it may not be you. I don't know if you do it or not because I don't get on it, okay? I don't, I don't know how to get on Facebook. I'm not bragging about that. I just, I don't want to be on it, okay? But what about that? I hear what people say, yeah, I saw this on Facebook or I saw this or I heard that or whatever. You say, well, Tony, you got a Twitter? I only read news. I never tweet, okay? You won't ever find anything I tweeted, I promise. All right? Now, I'm not bragging. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying I, I don't want to get into that. I don't want people to start quoting me, okay? Uh, what am I saying? Facebook gossip, arrogance with our children, all those kind of things. Why can't we just go to our kid in their bedroom and say, I'm proud of you, son. I'm proud of you, daughter. You don't have to say it on Facebook. It's okay. I'm not saying it's bad. To tell them you're proud of them, but do it at, do it at home sometimes. Tell them you're proud of them because they studied their Bible today. Not because they went four for four and hit two home runs. Tell them you're proud of, of the Christian walk they have. You know, this here recently, you've probably seen on TV this, I can't say her name right, Lori Lachlan. And y'all know what I'm talking about? The lady that was the star in Full House. You know, they were paying these, uh, they're, they're alleged that they're paying these universities and stuff to help make their kids' scores go up and off. And so when I was watching all this to be able to get into like USC or whatever, when I was watching this on the news, Fox News had this uh, psychologist on there that was telling about why people do this, especially like these elites. And they said that, what he said was he said, we are making our kids an extension of us. He said because this Movie stars probably gives enough money to USC anyway. They would accept her kid anyway. But yet, we want that score, that ACT score to look good, or SAT or whatever score it is to look good because it makes me look good. 
Like I got these ultra smart kids. And I see so much of that in our society today. What are we doing? Why is Toddlers and Tierras even a show? Because it happens, doesn't it? What are we doing? We're living through our children because our children makes us feel like that's who we are. See, I learned it as a coach. As a coach, lots of parents couldn't stand it because their son didn't bat first or play shortstop because that's what they wanted him to do. Left field and, and bat seventh was not good enough. You still love him, don't you? Even if you bat seventh, you still love him. See, we are all in that same boat. It's not just men, it's women, it's all of us. And the internet helps us do that sometimes. I think there's a temptation there that we, can, we must learn to avoid. We must stay away from it. And you say, well, I have to work, or I, it's in front of me all the time, I have to use the internet now. Okay, use it for work. Use it for what it's for. See, it can be good. It's like a fire. Fire can be great. It can clean up stuff. It can, it can fix all the problems that you have and if you've got a grown up mess. But fire can be devastatingly terrible too, can it? So we've got to make sure that we don't do those things. Temptation, temptation is inevitable. It can be variable. It can be profitable. It's sometimes unavoidable. Sometimes it's not unavoidable. But it can be profitable for us. Now, it's inevitable. It's profitable. Sometimes avoidable. More, but always escapable. Verse 12, blessed is the man who endures temptation. It is always escapable. I want to show you one last scripture. If you have your Bible, you can turn to chapter, uh, verse 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. This is something for you to read. I'm going to have it. It's on the screen. Good. Uh, this is from the ESV here. I don't care how you remember it. You need to hide this one in your heart. Temptation is always escapable. Sometimes you can't avoid it. Sometimes it's inevitable. Sometimes it comes in various ways. But it's always escapable if you have Christ. The Bible says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will always provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. See, if we're going to receive that crown of life, we have to endure it. We've got to learn to be able to escape it. Get away from it. You can't sit down. You can't go to a, a smorgasbord when you're on a diet. Okay? We can't get to put ourselves in those positions. If you have a problem with the internet or you have something, then you've got to stay away from it. God is saying there is a way to escape it. We've got to want to escape it. Let's pray together.